It's Sunday afternoon, December the 12th, 2021. It is currently 4.33 p.m. Central Time, and this is the Theology Central Podcast, where I do everything in my power to make Theology Central to everything we talk about, to make Theology Central to all of life. We must see things from a theological perspective, a biblical perspective, As Christians, we must have a biblical, theological worldview, not a political one, not a cultural one, but a theological one. So that's why we call this Theology Central. Welcome. You already know I'm coming to you live. I'm sitting here in the back of the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church right here in Ovalo, Texas, and I hope this turns out to be a very good conversation. Before we get to the topic today, before we and this is part two, so if you're listening, there's a good chance you heard part, part one. Before we advance this conversation, before we advance this discussion, let's talk about what happened at 10 a.m. this morning inside this very sanctuary. At 10 a.m. this morning, right here at Victory Baptist Church, I was standing behind the pulpit that I'm currently looking at up there at the front of the church. And we talked about Isaiah chapter 8. That's what we talked about, Isaiah chapter 8. It, it may sound like to you, well, okay, Isaiah chapter 8. Okay, so you, you did some Bible study. You preached a sermon. Okay, why is that connected to the topic that you're supposed to be talking about of is conservatism biblical? Well, if you go listen to it, I would really challenge you to listen to it. It's the latest Bible study exercise on Isaiah chapter 8. I think it's part 5 or part 6. I think it's part 6. If you go listen to it, you're going to hear me take everything that's going on in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8, dealing with Ahaz and all of the other kings, Assyria, Syria, Israel, all everything that was going on, and really relate it to a lot of the issues going on in the modern church with the political hijacking of the church and people trying to align themselves, in a sense, making a you know, an alliance with political powers to try to accomplish their way, their will, so that they can get their word across. I I think, I, I do believe it's a good study, but the reason I really want you to listen to it is because you will hear in my voice a lot of frustration, dare I say, anger. Now, I hope that my anger is a righteous anger and not an unrighteous anger. Now, it's always easy to say that. It's always easy to justify our anger. Sometimes whenever, in fact, all the way home when I drove home and all day before I came back to the church, I was so bothered. I, I, I really thought about deleting this, the, the Bible study exercise, deleting that Sunday school lesson. I probably thought about it two, three, four times. Um probably maybe even more than that. Maybe I just thought about it ever since church was over because I felt like, okay, I, I shouldn't have gotten so upset. I shouldn't have gotten so bothered. But at the same time, the one thing I love about being a pastor of a small church is the people give me a little bit more grace and and, and freedom. I, I can, they give me a lot of freedom, right? 
So uh, where I, I would probably get fired in other churches. So they 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 uh, hopefully understood that my frustration and my anger it is coming from a good place, and it's coming from the place that I am sick and tired of the political hijacking of American Christianity. I am so tired of it, so frustrated with it. And and as and it's, it seems like anytime I turn on Christian radio, it just makes the situation worse and I get even more frustrated. So all of that came out, but I but I hope what I would hope is that if you'll go even if you haven't participated in the Bible study exercises. I'm not asking you to go back to part 1. Just listen to the last one, right? Because I know some of you like to like to listen to my news commentaries. Some of you like to listen to my Bible study. I, I have like, I have the, the audience is split. I got a dedicated audience to my news commentaries. And then I have another audience that's dedicated to my Bible study. And, and, and you would be surprised how little that audience overlaps. It's like, no, I'm only going to listen to your commentaries. Nope. I'm only going to listen to your Bible studies. And it's kind of like, well, if y'all would listen to everything, man. I could be like a, a super popular podcaster. Okay, yeah, that's a little self-serving, isn't it? But no, I, in this particular case, I want you to hear because I think the, the, the study of Isaiah 7 and 8, as much as it relates to so many other things, hermeneutics, how to not to take a verse out of context that, you know, for the quote-unquote Christmas season, um, history, there's theology, there is some major practical implications to what the church is doing today. And hopefully you will listen to that and, and overlook my anger, overlook my frustration, and and at least try to hear the word. Sometimes a pastor can mess up by the way they deliver the words. Everyone so focuses on the delivery, they miss the words. If I did that, I apologize. That wasn't my Go, just sometimes you feel it. You're just like, wake up, everyone. Okay. So it, it, it does, it does really bother me. So, so at least listen. And, and, and if you think that I handled it in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, look, I'm always, you know, look, I get criticism for all kinds of things. So a little bit more criticism is not, <laughs> you know, it's not the end of the world. So you feel free to criticize me. Uh, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com and offer that criticism. And of course, the people on YouTube, you definitely know how to offer criticism. So hit the comment section and let's, and, and let me know. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that's, it, it's very much relates to this. So here's what we're doing. We're listening to a podcast that comes from the Roy's report. JulieRoys.com, the Roy's Report. Uh, it's the Roy's Report podcast. Please subscribe to her podcast. She talks about things happening in the church, things are going on. Her website's dedicated to exposing things that are happening in the church. Many of them are horrible to read. You may not want to read them. You may not want to know, but we need to see the things happening within the Christian church. And they did a podcast where they started talking about, is conservatism biblical? Now, that obviously that very much relates to everything that I've been talking about for so long. I call it the political hijacking of the American church. And I'm, let me make sure I just got to state my, my perspective. I'm not even going to call it a theory anymore. My perspective is very straightforward. I believe historical biblical Christianity exists. But I believe at the same time as it exists right now in the current culture in which we live, it is being slowly but surely written out of existence. It's being corrupted, it's being hijacked, it's being co-opted, and it's going to disappear unless we wake up. And it's the enemies of historical biblical Christianity is the politically left hijacked Christianity and a political right 
hijacked Christianity. And from the right and from the left, Christianity is becoming more of a political ideology than a theological one. It is becoming more about politics and Jesus is simply being used to for a political agenda. It's just like if you go back to the New Testament, the Jews wanted Jesus if he was going to deliver them from Rome. When he wasn't going to meet their political cultural demands, then they said, crucify him. They didn't want him. The church, in many cases, are using Jesus simply to try to impose their cultural and political ideology on the world. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. We talked about that in depth this morning in our study of Isaiah chapter 8. Go listen to that. But we're taking this podcast apart. I didn't know if I was going to do a part two but it's Sunday. I try to catch up and, and try to do as many live broadcasts as I can to try to finish up things so that when we get started in the new week, we can kind of start afresh. So I'm like, okay, let's at least jump in. I don't know how far we'll make it. I, I'm going to stop whenever I feel like I'm going to, I want to stop. And, uh, and then you, of course, you can go listen to the rest of, of, of this. I will post the link. I will post the link to uh, Julie Roy's uh, podcast. I will try to, if there's an embed code, I will embed it for the Theology Central blog so you can listen to it there. And I will post a link to it in the Theology Central Telegram channel. If you want to join the, uh, the Theology Central Telegram channel, someone emailed me and said, hey, is your content on Telegram? And I'm like, no, I guess I can find out what to do. So I downloaded Telegram. I'm like, okay. Theology Central. There you go. So uh, all of our podcasts, they go. It goes there. If you want to check it out, I don't know how how much we're going to use it. I don't even know if we're going to use it, but it's there. It's Telegram. Look for Theology Central. You shouldn't have a problem finding it. And uh, I, well, when when I can post links to things there as well, just to help you get. I just want you to have access to anything and everything. Okay, so um, I'll get a link to uh, Julie Roy's uh, podcast to this episode and question, is conservatism biblical? And uh, you can listen to the rest of it if we don't finish it. But at least let's try to bring this to as as as, as, a, a, as good of conclusion as we can. And if you have a part one, well, you have to have a part two. So I think that's, I think that's fair. So that's what we'll do. We're not going to back this up in any way, shape, or form. We're going to jump in at the 20-minute, 50-second mark. Um, they've made lots of points. I'm not going to go review everything. You can listen to part one. Um, we're just going to jump in. Remember how this works if for some weird reason you're new. Um, and when I say weird, it's because you're listening to part two. So it, if you start listening to a new podcast, you probably don't start with part two of something. But if you are new, welcome. But this is how it works. I don't listen to these things in advance because I don't like these reviews to be, um, you know, rehearsed. I, I like it to be very real. The, the, the feeling is, hey, I'm getting ready to listen to this. I'm going to turn on the microphone, invite you to listen to it with me. Let's listen to it together. And then we talk about it, and then we offer review, criticism, critique, so that it becomes more than just playing it. It tr then transforms. It's transformative. Right? There's a reason I'm saying that into something other than the original podcast. And once it becomes transformative, then that meets fair use law, and therefore it's not just simply uh, rebroadcasting something. It's taking something and then turning it into something different which is what we have done, all right? So are you ready? Here we go. Julie Roy's, the Roy's Report podcast, the 20-minute, 50-second mark of an episode entitled Is Conservatism Biblical? All right, here we go.
And it's so interesting that you bring that up because, again, our tradition as evangelicals is against those sorts of things. My ancestors came here because we were getting burned at the stake because we didn't baptize infants, right? I mean, Protestants were doing the same things Catholics were doing, right? Even though we supposedly were so different. If we look at history, like you're saying, our movement as evangelicals has come out of being true to our convictions above all else and not forcing our convictions. We want their hearts to be converted, not their behavior. The behavior comes after their heart. As my mother used to say, you can't clean a fish before you catch it, right? right. So, <laughs> but that's what we're doing. And, and I knew you were getting uh, at that story about your grandmother because I've read your book. I love First, that story. I, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great story. And and there's so many people listening now who might be saying, well, we're against women preachers, you know, and so, yeah. but are you for that kind of force? But that's what happens. And you talk about something in your book called the politics of panic. And that's the first time I've heard that put in. Now, like a part of me wanted to stop that earlier and say and say something. But I mean, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know, I say this over and over and over and over and over again. We we are not there to try to change behavior or to force it on people. You don't force the unregenerate to live like Christians. The goal of Christianity is not to get unregenerate people to live like Christians. Christianity is there to present the gospel, to bring people to faith so that they can become Christians. The Great Commission. Uh, it's like, has everyone forgotten the Great Commission? It's go and teach, evangelize baptize, then teach to obey. You don't teach to obey until after the evangelism and the conversion, all right? So it's not like, we're going to go make the world live like Christians. No, we just want the freedom to present the gospel to call people to faith in Christ, all right? And so he called this the, the uh, I think, they, I'm going to back this up. I think it's called the politics of fear is what uh, they call this. Let's back this up. You see, 2158. Back it up. Okay, here we go. That kind of force. But that's what happens. And you talk about something in your book called the politics of panic. And that's the first time I've heard that put in that way. But it, it really rang true that, yeah, we're, we're living in this sort of panicked state where the talk radio is whipping us into a frenzy. All right. Politics of panic or a politic of panic. Now, I, I would just challenge you if you if you've never done it, listen to Glenn Beck, listen to uh, Sean Hannity. I can't remember Buck Saxton, and I can't remember the two people who took over for Rush Limbaugh. Um, I could look it up in my podcast feed. Uh, them, uh, you got Alex Jones, Mark Levin. Listen to them. And by the, t I mean, if you listen to Alex Jones every day, you're like, it's over. It's like, you know, the vaccine is killing millions of people. They're going to come for you. You're going to be in a concentration camp. You're, and it's, it's just, it's always like, it's this, it's the war on this. It's the war on that. It's the war on that. They're going to destroy you. They're going to take your family. They're going to, it's, it's, it's the end. It's the end. It's the end. And it's constant panic, 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 panic. There's almost a constant, like, I don't know how we're going to survive the, the whole QAnon concept is so built on panic and fear. And, and this is so much connected to Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8. That's why I mentioned this at the beginning. Ahaz and the people of Judah were scared to death. 
They were afraid because the king of Syria, the king of Israel had joined forces to come to get rid of Ahaz to remove him because Ahaz wouldn't join them in their fight and struggle against the Assyrians. So there was fear. There was concern. They they didn't know what to do. Whenever there is fear and panic and concern, we have a tendency to look to our own way, our own will, and our own word in order to resolve it. Ahaz decides, look, I'm going to turn to the Assyrians. And God's like, no, I'm going to take care of this. But no, he had made up his mind. He's like, okay, well, you want to look to the Assyrians? Look to the Assyrians. And then, well, then ultimately, they're going to bring death, punishment, and destruction. You should be listening to God. You should be, uh, you should fear God more than you fear man. You should not be in panic. You should be trusting God and his word. But what we have a tendency to do, Christians look at the state of the world. They hear about how bad everything is from whatever, whether it's, Fox News, you know, Fox News alert, alert, war on this, Fox News alert. There's a war on families. There's a war on democracy. There's a war on the Constitution. There's a war in America. There's a war on Christmas. There's a war on your birthday. There's a war on blonde people. There's a war. There's a war. It's panic, panic, panic. Well, you sit there and you see, man, this world's a mess. It's falling apart. So what do Christians do? Who is my Assyria that I can align myself with, that I can make a confederacy with to stop these bad people? Well, you're making a confederacy and alliance with the flesh, with a political ideology, and all it's going to ultimately do is flood in and destroy and corrupt Christianity. But I understand the panic. You see, you see the world not going in the direction you want it to go. I understand that but we look to the wrong thing. So this politic of panic, I think it's an interesting phrase. All right, here we go. Where, oh my goodness, if we don't do something to save America, to stop the liberals, this is what's going to happen. So flesh that out a little bit more. You've been in Hollywood. Uh, I've been in media. So like, I can see this too. I mean, it's like, I know what the red meat is that you can put out there online and people will just go after. But talk about this politics of panic and how we're being manipulated as Christians. Absolutely. You know, the, the politics of panic has to do with the creation of a delusion. Years ago, I ran into a story, and this is really, to me, it speaks to the whole issue of the church today in this country. The way in the Mideast many years ago, rustlers would steal huge herds of sheep. The way they did it, they'd find a huge herd out in the middle of nowhere with no shepherd. They were on horseback. So what they would do is that they would fire their guns. They were a distance away from the flock. The flock would clump together. And then what they would do is they would, they would run straight into the middle of the flock and stop. And then they would start shooting their guns over and over and absolutely create total panic. And then they would run straight from, you know, the middle of that flock. And every time the entire flock would follow them. They could keep on doing this with a flock of sheep carrying them away across for miles, all they had to do was frighten them enough. And that's exactly what is going on in the country today. Those leaders who have so much to gain because they want to maintain control of evangelical Christians know that all they have to do is frighten them enough, and they'll follow the wolves anywhere. Hmm. I saw it happen in the most unbelievable way while I was there in Hollywood working at Universal Studios working at Universal Television all the way back in 1988. Universal decided to uh, release a miserable little film 
called The Last Temptation of Christ by mm. Artemis Scorsese. This thing was a piece of junk. Was it blasphemous? Absolutely. It was so poorly done, it would probably have had a 15-minute life in the theaters. Well, the Christians on talk radio and everywhere else got hold of this. And it suddenly became the ultimate, the ultimate test of whether we can control Hollywood. We're going to take control of this. We're not going to let them re release that film. I was there at Universal, and I was watching all of this take place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was amazing. Bill Bright got involved. He offered to buy the, uh, the negative for $10 million, which communicated to everybody at Universal and all the people who had made the film. He thinks we're just whores. All we care about is getting us money, and that's all he, that's, that's what he thinks of us. Mm -hmm. You know, there were, James Dobson got involved in it, his organization, which, dear Lord, he should have stayed with counseling children. But, you know, the, the nature of what he got involved with was pressuring them, this giant pressure, all these religious leaders, evangelical leaders. I didn't understand fully what was happening until one noon when I was driving out from Universal to go to lunch with a senior uh, writer-producer who worked for me, still a dear friend. Uh, I had shared my faith with him many times, as I had with everybody I worked with. And, you know, and we're driving out of the front gate of Universal, and all of a sudden, there surrounding us were thousands of evangelical Christians with placards, you know, sticking them in front of my windshield so with John 3.16 on them. You know, and all of these statements that come from the Bible that they had misapplied, their whole purpose there was to show Universal that they were really serious. They wanted that, that film to be stopped. And I'm seeing these people, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at their signs and thinking, you know, young man, I knew John 3.16 long before you were born. My friend turns to me and he says to me, and I will never forget it. He said, you know, Coleman, if I didn't know you, I would hate these people. And you know, and that, that to me, it just broke my heart. You know, here it was, this opportunity that I was having to talk with people, and the church as a whole, and all of these religious leaders just stood up and said, we don't care about a single one. We don't care about that. All we care about is getting what we want. During that whole fiasco, I called up James Dobson's organization. I was just, I was calling us, these people don't understand. They don't understand the way Hollywood works. They don't understand the impact this is having, and it's not what they want. I called up and talked to a senior vice president there. It was unbelievable. Hmm. I was on the phone with him for about 30 minutes. That whole time, he believed with all of his heart that I was calling because I represented Universal, and I wanted to negotiate with him about it. When I finally communicated clearly, look, I'm just a Christian brother. But I'm a Christian brother who knows two things better than you will ever know them. The first is that I know Hollywood. And the second is, I know how all of that relates to Hollywood as an evangelical Christian. I know the evangelical world. You won't find anybody who knows both those areas the way I do. And of course, it didn't stop them from releasing the film. They released it. It got much more coverage than it ever would have been. Many people came to see it just to see what it was like. It's a piece of trash. After it was over, you know, I... I tried to have a meeting of Christian leaders in my home in Los Angeles. Now, there were different people that came. George Barna was there and several others to try to tell some people who had been involved. Now, Barna wasn't involved in 
any of this, but he was there, you know, to observe, you know, to try to tell them that, look, we can't do it this way. This is not the way to reach people for Jesus. And I care about the people of Hollywood. This is my mission field. I love all these people. So to me, the issue of syncretism ultimately comes down to this. We don't give a damn whether somebody goes to hell or not, as long as we get what we want politically. When you get to that place, and that's where we are. Dark. Whoa, that's some strong language there. Some strong language. And I, I, I definitely, I, I, I just, again, that's why I started this way. I didn't know he was going to, to express his frustration and his anger, but you could hear my frustration and anger this morning. I didn't say anything of a cuss word of any kind. I didn't do that, but you can hear my frustration and you can hear his frustration. I'll never forget that craziness. The last temptation of Christ. Christians were like, we've got to stop this. And we turned it into something. Nobody would have paid any attention to the movie. Nobody would have cared, but we made it such a big deal. And we wanted, no, you're not going to release the movie. No, we want our way. We want our will. We want our word. We don't want you to have a voice. And I said, like, well, wait a minute. Why are we trying to tell everyone what to do? Why are we telling them what movies they can watch, what movies they can make, what movies they can show? Who are we to tell the world what to do? Do we care about their salvation or do we simply care about winning a cultural battle? So they make a movie that's blasphemous. Okay. What do you expect lost people to make? A movie not blasphemous, <laughs> right? You don't have to go see it. Just ignore it. Just leave it alone. The more you make out of it, the more it grows and the more you're, you're giving it free publicity. I'll never forget the local theater in Abilene. I can't even tell you how many people were in that parking lot with signs all walking around, you know, no, no to the last temptation of Christ. No, and I'm like, what are you doing? You're literally a marketing sign for people to come to the movie theater to see it. And some of them didn't want to leave and let people in. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I, and I, now at the time I didn't quite understand. I was still young trying to figure out, well, is this the right thing to do or not the right thing to do? Later on, I realized how ridiculous it was. At the time I was just trying to like, I don't know. I, I remember I, I, I was eating at a restaurant, I think in the same parking lot. And I walked over and talked to some people there. Um, and I don't know how I felt about it. I think probably being younger, I probably was like, that's right, we'll show them. But, but, but later on, I started realizing it's not about my team versus their team. It's about presenting the gospel. And now that's not even so much a political thing. That just shows the Christian mindset of seeing so many things as a battle and, and not not even understanding it from a truly biblical theological perspective, but from a cultural war perspective. This is the culture war we're going to fight now. And it's like, you can win all the culture wars. You can get Hollywood to make all the movies you want. You can get uh, all the music to be the way you want it to be. You can, you can try to reshape the culture into the image that you think it should be, but that's not salvation. You want a moral reformation more than you want regeneration. And that's the problem. We need a reformation in the church to reform people's thinking, to understand that people need regeneration, not simply morality. ...is upon the land. 
And that's where we are going. As you're saying that, I, I can't help but think of what's going on right now in our country over a pandemic. Before COVID hit, on the list of disasters that could happen, pandemic was not even on my list anywhere or my radar. Maybe it should have been. I mean, if I'd been studying what happened <laughs> uh, with the Spanish flu, I, I maybe would have, but I wasn't. And and we kind of had this this feeling that we were invincible with modern medicine. And so this has been a humbling, a humbling experience, I think, for our entire world to realize how vulnerable we are. But what saddened me so much is we're coming off of what I would call a public relations nightmare, which was the Trump administration. Did we have some political gains? Absolutely. Um, there's some policies where I would agree with what Donald Trump did, and, and I can see the gains. But those gains were bought with, I would say evangelicals had a bad PR issue in uh, 2016. We have an absolute disaster now. We are associated with elements that I'm, I'm shocked that we're associated with. I, I this is a very important point, because anytime you talk to Christians about Trump, they're like, but it's policies, but it's policies, but it's policies, but it's policies. And I always want to stop. OK, so you get the policies, but at what expense to biblical Christianity and how people perceive biblical Christianity? You gained five. Let's say you gained 50 political victories and that these policies were great. But if it all it did was destroy the credibility of the church, the reputation of the church and completely blinded people to the gospel, then you think those political victories are more important than that? Look, I, I, I have a hard time talking to Christians about the Trump situation because it's like it's like it's like they're it's like I'm not talking to Christians. It's like I'm talking to people so invested in politics that they can't see it from a biblical perspective because all they can say is the policies, the policies, the policies. I'm like, at what spiritual cost to gain 50 political policies that you think are great for the country, but it cost us spiritually, it cost us in a form of how people perceive Christianity, then those victories weren't worth it were they? And I used to argue, and I am a conservative. At least I always consider myself that. Now, I don't know if I'd take that label anymore. It's almost like evangelical. I get, you know, I mean, both those things are like, well, what do you mean by that? But in the sense that, that I, I believe I have a very conservative political philosophy. I have conservative theological convictions. I used to be involved in Republican politics. I'm not anymore. I can't stomach what's going on. But I used to argue that people just didn't understand. Liberals didn't understand. Conservatives are compassionate. We do care about the weak. We do love other people. That's why we're doing this. That's why we have the economic policies we, we have, because we don't, we don't want people to be dependent on the government. We want them to have agency and, and respect and dignity. And that's why we support these policies. And I thought that's what all my brothers and sisters thought, too. And, and what's happened with COVID, and again, religious freedom issues, is it important? Absolutely, religious freedom is important. That's why my ancestors came here. But I think what's happened with the pandemic, with COVID, has been a similar kind of a grasping for power 
grasping for control and doing it under the guise of religious freedom. As I'm speaking right now, I had somebody say to me on Facebook recently, just because I published a story and I happened to mention all the facts of the story that we published, was that uh, Marcus Lamb, who was the head of Daystar TV, uh, was very openly against the COVID vaccine, and he did die of COVID. Those things are relevant. You have to put them in the story. But they said, you are definitely for vaccine mandates. And no, I'm, I'm not for vaccine mandates. I do think that's an overreach of government. But how we engage on these things we disagree, that's where I think there's a difference. So let me just throw that to you. You encountered religious freedom issues when you were in Hollywood. I did. And you paid a price Talk about that and why you chose to go the route you went rather than, you know, contacting, which I'm not saying that this is necessarily wrong in certain circumstances, but why didn't you you contact the Alliance Defending Freedom or one of these organizations and say, I'm being discriminated against because I'm a Christian? Again, not saying that's wrong, but you chose not to do that. Explain why. Well, first of all, you know, I when I first came to Hollywood, I didn't go there to serve myself. I felt very strongly that I, I was being guided there by the Lord. Uh, my family felt the same way. We were going there to be servants. And that meant that, you know, that what Jesus said, you know, the same thing that they did to me, they're going to do to you. If you're one of my servants, you know, you can experience. And what I remember having a meeting with a group of Christian friends early in my career, and I'd begun to make deals and I was moving up and in success. And, you know, and, and I remember saying to them, I think I know the trajectory of my career. My career is going to go like this. I will have a period of great success. And then, you know, they'll, it'll be amazing. Then tremendous opposition. And eventually I'll be taken outside the city wall and crucified. It was certainly uh, metaphorical, but, you know, the experiences I had were quite amazing. I, over a course of just a few years in Hollywood, I sold three television series. All of those series uh, were the only ones that were picked up, dramatic series, by a particular network for that fall. You know, and, and that, that for a writer in Hollywood is amazing. It was one of those situations where you look at this and you, you just think, this is a miracle. Uh, every one of those, this was after The Equalizer. Every one of those was spiritual war, and there is no other way to, to put it. And sometimes it was just frighteningly clear what I was up against. But, you know, you don't turn around and start saying, you know, you go to somebody and say, I'm going to whine about the fact that they're persecuting me. No, you know, what you do is you're in the middle of that. You, you continue to do everything you can to show the love of Jesus within that situation. You know, and hope that it has some impact over a long period of time. The things I saw and experienced were amazing in some ways. I, I was doing the pilot for Gabriel's Fire. We're working on putting the pilot together, and we went to an organization outside to get them to uh, put together a title sequence for our series. They were specialists in doing advertising. We gave them all of our material. Well, a few weeks later... It came back to me, the, the rough cut, and I sat down in my office and started watching it. It was, it was great, but something deeply disturbed me about it, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. You know, finally what I did was 
I started watching it frame by frame. I came to the face of our star, and they had turned it into the face of a demon. Now, you never would have seen it. It was completely subliminal, but it was there. I called them on the phone, and I said, you know, I saw what you put inside my, my title sequence. Why did you do this? Get it out. They were shocked that I had found the thing. But it made me really wonder, you know, what is being communicated across? That was, was in 1990, when Paul said that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. He was just joking. He didn't really know what he was talking about. <laughs> I'll tell you something in Hollywood, that's, you're not wrestling against people. You know, you're wrestling against something that is in control of the story creation of the world. Am I going to go to some organization and say, they're discriminating against me? Well, yes, I'm being discriminated against by Satan. And that's the way it ought to be for every one of us who wants to be in this world as a representative of Jesus. If we're there to do the work that he's given us to do, expect to find all kinds of difficulties. That's what we're called to do, what we're called to live. Hmm. Wow, that's powerful. And, you know, one of the pushbacks that I often get is, why aren't you going after the liberals, Julie? Oh, gosh. Why aren't you? I mean, here you are bringing up the corruption and abuse in the church and and our hypocrisy. Why aren't you going after the liberals? And I've always said that's not my call to go after the liberals. In fact, there's entire packs out there going after the liberals. Uh, We've been really good at going after the liberals. What we haven't been really good at doing is taking the plank out of our own eye and doing that first. And that's one of the things that you bring up in your book that I thought was so good because we talk about the family. And is that a biblical value? Yes, that's a biblical value. God cares about the family. God cares about marriage. But is it the way to engage in it the way we've done politically? Is that the way to save the family? And when we look at what's happening within our church, I think if we took the plank out of our own eye— We have marriages, I mean, divorce rate is very high. We have, and this has been new to me, and maybe one little piece that I might take a little bit of exception with you, not really, but I mean, I think one one thing that you didn't talk about in the book was abuse, and and there is a need for there to be divorce in certain... Okay, a couple of things here. I don't know what in the world he saw when he went frame by frame. I don't even know what that means. I wanted to get more into what happened to him and then why he didn't go seek whatever remedy. Um, I, I think this is what's most important is we have to keep the spiritual more important than anything else. We want to defend certain maybe constitutional rights. We what we should always be thinking about is what is best spiritually for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the preaching of God, what is best spiritually, not what is best for, quote unquote, a political ideology or a cultural war, but what is best spiritually. I thought they were going to get more into that. Now, I I get the same thing. Whenever I address anything from a conservative perspective, I typically get these emails going. So what about the liberals? What about the liberals? What about the liberals? What about the liberals? I've said it so many times. When you look at the quote unquote liberal, 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 liberal side of Christianity, they're so already 
bankrupt theologically that their issue is theological. What I am so worried about the conservative aspect of it coming into conservative churches is that those conservative churches theologically sound good and have right theology, but they're allowing their theology to be corrupted by a, a conservatism, not a biblical conservatism, but a political conservatism that then corrupts and messes up. And we do need to look at the plank of our own eye and see the issues within the evangelical church. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. There's uh, uh, about seven minutes left. You can listen to it, uh, the Roy's report. You can go listen to the whole thing, and you can see what they have to say in the last seven minutes. There's probably some th- very important things to discuss, but I just want you to go listen to it so that they get the, the listen and they get the download uh, for their numbers because I know how important podcasters are. And considering she has sponsors for her podcast, those sponsors probably want to see a certain number. So you can go listen to the last uh, seven minutes and hear it. And uh, because I, because, you know, yeah, I want them to hear that. Um, they didn't go, some of the directions they went into, I I, I wish, I wish there were, I, I was hoping it was going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I really did. But uh, because I think there's more to talk about how, like, I think it's important to, to really try to say, here's, here's some conservative principles. Now, how did that apply to scripture. I'll just throw out a couple of ideas. Um, what I have seen, I'll just, a couple of things just to throw this out there. If you look at how many people have died because of the COVID pandemic, I mean, you're talking millions of people globally. I think we're at a close, we're over 700,000, maybe over close to 800,000 people have died. I think in the United States of America alone from COVID, I think, I think we're, we may be over 800,000 now. It's some pretty staggering numbers. In fact, let me see if I can find the article. I have the article. I think it's saved in my notes because I'm going to do a podcast on this article. If I find it, give me one second here. Um, let's see here. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to open this up because I think they mentioned some numbers here that are absolutely staggering, but I'll just show you what we mean by this. Okay. Um, all right. So, Like many grown men, they're, they're, they're talking about how people are so upset and screaming and yelling because, you know, wearing a mask, social distancing. So like many grown men throwing hissy fits these days, seems upset that someone suggests taking precautions in the midst, midst of the worst pandemic in a century. It's one which is now believed to have killed a lot of Americans. 787,695, though that number will increase by the time I'm done writing this paragraph, then... Did the Spanish flu, I believe, to be around 675,000. So 675,000 died from the Spanish flu. 787,695 have died of COVID Americans, all right? Um, uh, and then it says this is a benchmark. And so they go on and talk about all of the numbers. In fact, if you get back through here, we uh, while we're largely gotten used to the astronomical death toll, Americans can, you know, basically at, at some point, they, they get used to whatever they're going through, whatever calamity, right? They can acclimate to basically anything. Um, it says it's not, it might be worth considering that COVID has now killed more Americans than did the combat deaths in every single war America has ever fought 
combined from both world wars to the civil war to Vietnam and Korea, right down to the invasion of Grenada, total combat deaths versus COVID deaths. And so I think uh, total combat deaths is like 666,441. And then the COVID deaths are 787,000. Now it says if history doesn't get your attention, you might be interested to know that COVID has now killed and they go on and add more statistics and more statistics and more statistics. Now, Here's the thing, just just to just demonstrate this. The conservative side and, and the conservative political ideological world basically says, look, it's not that serious. The numbers aren't real. The numbers are inflated. Look at the percentages. They will do all of that. But the issue is from a Christian perspective, shouldn't we say life is sacred? Shouldn't we be pro-life about this and say, what can we do? to do anything in our, even if we don't think it's that, it's, it's worth that much, should we not do what we can to try to preserve life, protect life? Shouldn't we not do what we can? I mean, that's the, like you say, well, the mask is useless. Okay, well, what's your solution? You don't want the vaccine. You don't want the mask. You don't want social distancing. What I hear is, well, you know, we just, it's just, it's not that big a deal. It's no big deal. The numbers aren't real. So it's like, deny everything, do nothing, but yet say, you're pro-life and you're a Christian. I mean, come on, at, at some point, we have to ask ourselves, are we being consistent with our biblical values? So, so there's one example. When it comes to the whole COVID thing, it was more like, throw. it's like, throw a fit, yell, scream, refuse to follow any guidelines because what's more important is religious liberty. What's more important is fighting a political battle than it is preserving human life. And whenever I say that, people get mad, but it's, I'll get the emails. I'm like, well, look at this statistics and look at this statistic. And I'm saying, well, this is how many people die. I don't believe that number. Okay, well then there's no way of convincing you. What you want to do is argue numbers. And what you want to do is argue for something other than the preservation of life. What should be more important to you from a Christian perspective? That, that's, that's, just, that's just one example right there. That's just one example. Another, whenever there's a, a, a possible threat of military conflict, so many times Christians sound more like their, their political party than they do a, a Christian trying to look at the idea of war from a biblical perspective. Whenever there's a mass shooting, but many Christians argue, they sound like the political party arguing for, no, guns, 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 and saying, wait, what can we possibly do to try to preserve life? It's just so many issues get mentioned, and what you hear coming out of the mouths of many Christians is conservative political view, not biblical Christianity. Let's, let's make this, this, this is just, if, if you don't take anything away from this, if you don't, if, 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 if you ignore everything else that was, that has been said, Please take this away from this discussion. As Christians, we should not sound like liberals and progressives. And we should not sound like right-leaning Republican conservatives. Because Christianity is a different perspective than the world. When our perspective sounds more like the world's perspective, you know Christianity has been corrupted. See, when Christians talk about things going on in the world and in the culture, it should always sound like the world should stop and go, well, that's a weird perspective. That's not really liberal. That's not really conservative. That what are you? Oh, yeah, I'm not a political anything. I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. Well, that perspective is so weird. 
I don't even know what to say about that. But the world doesn't, the world, when they hear us talk, they think, oh, you're a conservative Republican. No, 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 no. I'm a Christian. No, you're a conservative Republican. Oh, for crying out loud. Well, okay, we should be frustrated by that. But the reason they think that is because we've been so co-opted that in many cases, what we're saying is really more Republican than it is Christian. And we need to look at that and go, what have we done? What can we do to correct it? And how can we purge the leaven? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. All right, I'll stop right there. Just something to consider. I'm getting, uh, okay, yeah, I'm getting a uh, notification, uh, getting notifications, but about something else. So I'll stop right there. Uh, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I wanted to at least bring this to a conclusion. I wish you went and went to that whole I started looking at the frames and there was a demon implanted there. Get it out. I mean, what in the world was that all about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Uh, I, I mean, the only thing I can say, I would like to, I would like to see and have a better explanation of that. Uh, but that was his idea that it's fighting a spiritual war. I will say we are fighting a spiritual war. And uh, yeah. All right. We'll stop right there. Okay. Like when I, you, that's one of the, that's one of the fun things when you do this. You don't know what you're going to hear. You don't know what you're going to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, but then you have to choose which things you respond to and which things you just say. Well, not going to go there because we're trying to. This was more dedicated to looking at the political hijacking of the church. So. Thank you to the person. I don't even know who sent this to me. Thank you, who, who, whoever it was. I appreciate it. I think it made for some interesting uh, discussion, and uh, we'll see if it sparks any more. All right, everyone, have a, a great one. I should be back on the air here shortly. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.